Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Um, of course, this is the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. This will be our second divisional preview episode. Um, again, we are back with Tamberlin Richardson. We had originally planned to do two episodes in one in one episode. Um, two divisions in one episode, excuse me, um, which would be the Atlantic and Northwest. But we started doing the Atlantic division. We realized we were going to talk for a lot longer than we than we planned. So we split them up into two different episodes. So this episode is the Northwest division preview with Tamblin Richardson, editor at Thunderous Intentions and 16 Wins a Ring, as well as a writer for Raptors Republic. Always a, a great guest and always a, a long come, long recurring guest on the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. Before we get into our conversation with Tamblin about the Northwest division, um, want to remind you that our website, the 94 Feet Report website, is, is launched at 94feetreport.com, or you can follow it on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. We've got a great group of guys um, writing um, original content. We, we, recovered, we reviewed every team's off-season in an article. We got 30 off-season review articles up on the site, so check us out at 94feetreport.com and follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. And now we'll get to our conversation about Tamblin, which in which we discuss each team in the Northwest Division's offseason additions and losses and answer some questions we have about each team. Of course, check out the previous episode about the Atlantic Division as well. Um, and here's our conversation with Tamblin Richardson about the Northwest Division for the 2017-2018 NBA season. All right, we are now joined uh, once again by Tamblin Richardson. We had planned to do two divisions in an episode, but once we realized how much we had to talk about with the Atlantic Division, we had to space it out and give a whole separate episode for the Northwest Division. So Tamblin is an editor at um, Thunderous Intentions, a writer at Raptors Republic, and lead editor at 60 Wins a Ring. Tamblin, how are you doing again? <laughs> I'm great. Sorry I'm so long-winded, fans, <laughs> but... You know, when Eric calls me and tells me he wants to do a podcast, I, I spend the night searching for arbitrary facts so I can make him giggle. Exactly. That's why we have the best podcast when we do them together. Um, <laughs> so we just did an hour on the Atlantic Division, and we discovered pretty quickly that some of those teams had very fascinating off-seasons. And now we're going to the Northwest Division, which has includes teams that probably had more intriguing off-seasons um, in terms of the big, significant moves. We saw three all-stars switch teams this offseason, and they three of them went to this Northwest Division. Um, and we're going to start with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, Tamblin, editor of Thunderous Intentions, knows a lot about the Thunder. Key losses, Victor Oladipo, Damana Sabonis, and Taj Gibson. But when you compare what they brought in, Oladipo and Sabonis, I don't think will be missed. And Taj Gibson was a nice veteran presence, but again, what they brought in can also replace Gibson's services. Um, you know, we can talk about the, the losses in, in terms of equating them to their additions because their additions, I thought the Thunder had uh, one of, if not the best offseasons in the entire league. Obviously, we know the Paul George trade and people are still laughing about how little the Pacers got back. But I think one of my favorite signings, and I actually wrote an article for NBAMath.com um, about my favorite role player signings, and I think Patrick Patterson was my favorite. The value they got on that contract um, is just incredible. Um, when we talked about the Atlantic Division, I had mentioned that Patterson added a really good, consistent three-point shot, which is extremely valuable. It makes him more of a stretch big who can also defend, which is just so 
it's almost priceless skills to have in today's NBA. But then they added Raymond Felton to shore up the backup point guard minutes, where obviously were a problem last year, and they drafted Terrence Ferguson. So obviously, I want to, like I did with the Raptors, I want to give you some time to give your expertise about the Thunder and what you thought about their offseason. Very interesting going into the offseason in the final press conference that Sam Presti did with the Thunder. He took a little bit of umbrage with the pundits who were asking about what they were going to do in the offseason. And at the time, I wrote an article on Thunderous Intentions discussing the points that Sam Presti made. And much like Masai Ujiri is the magician in the East, Sam Presti is definitely the magician in the West because he virtually gets something for nothing all the time. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back and even look at when he got Oladipo and when he got Demonis Sabonis, he got those for Sir Jaka, but that was the guy who was going into free agency and they weren't sure they were going to be able to retain him. And at the time, they wanted to keep Kevin Durant and they wanted to upload and add depth to the bench because that was Kevin's desire. And there was a little bit of negativity between Ibaka and Katie, shall we say. So he turns around and picks up Paul George, as you say, for highway robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said during that press conference, they, they virtually had no assets to play with. The only assets that really seemed to be usable at the time were Victor Oladipo and Ennis Cantor. So the fact that they retained Cantor, who was the more desirable in terms of production, was very interesting because Oladipo, he'll he'll end up starting in Chicago and he just had a great performance over in Africa. But honestly, Oladipo is is meant to be a a six-man. As much as he wants to be a starter, I just don't ever see it happening. He's a great defender, but when he was given opportunity to excel even with the bench squad, he couldn't couldn't keep the Thunder uh, in games. As soon as Westbrook sat down, and Oladipo was in charge, they would lose double-digit leads repeatedly. So he just wasn't capable of of commanding that type of lead or attention from squads. So from my perspective, when when Sam Presti said, that's not to say that there aren't uh, a couple of guys, my phone will be on, and we will answer the phone for specific players. And at the time, I literally, Eric, I literally wrote what he means is Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and I, I named two other players. I said, that's who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. I just knew for some reason that he was going to go out and try and swing for the fences because he wants to keep Westbrook in, in OKC. And, you know, everyone's all up in arms over the fact that Westbrook hasn't signed. Westbrook has been very clear about his love for Oklahoma City. And as much as everyone says Paul George isn't Kevin Durant, I actually think he'll suit Westbrook's game better than Durant did Mm -hmm. because he's capable of doing things let's not let's not deny the fact that Kevin Durant is a is a a, you know a top three player in the league let's not deny that fact absolutely but the bottom line is Paul George is a top 15 player in the league and what he does on catch and shoots and his ability to also run a team. Now Billy Donovan has the option of rest, re- resting, say this three times fast, <laughs> resting Russell Westbrook and playing Paul George, similar to what Casey does in Toronto with he either plays DeRozan or he plays Lowry. So yeah. you've got one of your all-stars on the floor at all times. The other factor, as you bring up, was Patrick Patterson. Huge loss for the Raptors in that they lost both Tucker and Patterson. But... 
my thing is this. They went into the offseason needing to add some sort of talent, a secondary score, or someone to share the offensive load with Westbrook. They knocked it out of the park by getting Paul George for virtually nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. They needed to add... <laughs> no problem. I just swallowed a little bit funny there. They needed to add... For three seasons now, they've needed a backup point guard. And Samaj Christian, aside from the fact that he was the guy that hit the shot that gave Russell Westbrook the record with the 42 uh, triple-doubles, um, he didn't do anything. So they finally bring in Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton isn't going to knock numbers off the charts, but he'll be able to manage and, and captain um, and lead an offense off the bench with them. And he's a scrappy little defender, and he's really excited about playing with Westbrook and Paul George. And they needed to add someone to replace what they have with DeMontis Sabonis. The bigger factor for me about Patterson, and I'll jump on your bandwagon here, mm -hmm. in, in terms of Patrick Patterson, is that we already discussed, if you want to go back and listen to the Atlantic Division, where I uh, waxed poetic about Patterson and the loss of him and how underrated he is. The, the big factor for me, if you look at last season, there was a, one of the big changes it wasn't just kevin durant leaving but the loss of abaca affected mm -hmm. stephen adams worse than any player on the oklahoma city thunder mm -hmm. and that's because when he was playing with abaca abaca could stretch the floor and it allowed stephen adams to protect inside they had better overall floor coverage and floor spacing. Now that Patrick Patterson comes in, you have two great interior defenders, but Patterson can stretch the floor. Last season what happened is because Westbrook had nobody else to throw the ball to, or when he did, they didn't connect, so there was a, a, a real trust factor there. Yeah. Towards the end of the season, Alex Abrinas and uh, Doug McDermott got a bit better, which will be better for them this season if they grow, but Adams was literally getting attacked in the paint with no help because mm -hmm. Ennis Cantor isn't capable of defending. Yeah. So I offer this. I think that the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be a top three defensive team, and their clutch defense I will rank right up there with San Antonio. Uh, Toronto is one of the best clutch defenses, and Golden State, and I'll tell you why. Think about this. They probably are the most pound for pound, height for height, best team to match up against the Warriors. Mm -hmm. They've got Westbrook at 6'3". Curry is listed at 6'3", but he's more like 6'1". And yet this, at the shooting guard, you have Roberson, um, or Robertson versus Clay Thompson. Now, if you go back to game six, the reason that Clay Thompson went off two years ago in those finals is because Robertson got picked up his fifth foul and had to sit for all of the third quarter. So he defends Clay very, very well. So they're a wash of their height. And he's, he's, oh, I just want to intro, and Roberson has actually improved, I think, as a, as a defender at last season. Just wanted to add. Oh that. yeah, he was he made all defensive team. Yeah. Then you've got Paul George, who's six nine, going up against Iggy, and he's got three inches on Iggy, six six. Patterson will lose some height. They list, believe this or not, Basketball Reference lists KD at six seven. He's like six eleven. I don't know why they list him at six seven. I know. Patterson loses some height there, but I'll point you to in the last three four seasons. Go back. The Raptors have always beaten OKC. At least they've split the games with them, and a lot of it has been Patterson's defense on K on KD. KD does not like to be uh, pushed around or physically defended. And then you have Adams, who's seven foot against Draymond, who's six seven. 
So height for height and pound for pound, I think they're going to be the best clutch defensive team in the NBA this season. Yeah, and um, to add along some and of my... And I really like Terrence Ferguson. Sorry. People are <laughs> sleeping on him as well. He's People just don't know about him. And they're bringing in Josh Hustis and Dakari Johnson, who could be factors as well. Yeah, I, I like those kind of uh, the fringe signings they made. And I, I, I'm pretty high on Ferguson. Um, we'll be interested to see how they balance the minutes at shooting guard and small forward. Obviously got Abrinas there, who's a, a very good shooter who can improve his, in his second year in the league. Doug McDermott's still there. Um, so that'll be interesting. How Both they... are working on their defense this summer. Yeah, that's a, another important thing to, to work on. But And Ennis Cantor's working out with uh, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and KD. Go figure. I know that. Yeah, I saw that too. That was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you basically touched on pretty much everything I was going to say. We, I love the Pattersons. I don't think I can say enough how much I love the Patterson signing um, um, because I think he's such a perfect fit. I mean, he provides good defense, and he's enough of a floor spacer to give room for Adams, give another shooter on the floor for Westbrook and Paul George. Um, and the thing with both their biggest additions in terms of George and Patterson is that Last season, OKC was last, dead last in three-point percentage. Now, George and Patterson will help that three-point percentage while not sacrificing anything defensively. I don't think they were last in percentage. They were last in attempts. Hang on. I have, I have it written down here. They were last in attempts and last in 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 uh, makes, but I think that they were 20th in, in percentage. No, I have, it, I have it right in front of me. They were 0.1%. They were 32.7. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. The Magic were, were close second, tell you that. Um, but... uh. The thing is that George and Patterson will help that while not sacrificing anything defensively. And then you bring in Raymond Felton, who's not a flashy signing, but he'll shore up the backup point guard minutes. Um, and I think that with their offseason, the Thunder can absolutely, I expect them, the Thunder, to absolutely be a top 10 in both offense and defense. Last year, they were, I think, like, I think. I 17th in offense, 10th in defense. Yeah. But after they did the trade to get Taj Gibson and, and Doug McDermott, they finished the season ranking top 10 in both. I think they're going to so, be. I think they could even be top five in both. I mean, uh, yeah. So do I. So I, do I. I. I, just, I just love the fit. They didn't lose anything defensively and improved offensively. And um, if, and if if, if Abrinas and McDermott, if Dougie McBuckets finally finds his shot and gets some consistency, because let's not forget this poor kid's gone through numerous coaches, numerous team changes. He came into the league. Do you remember that Chicago gave up everything to get oh, Doug McDermott? I know. I know. And then it just never worked out. But there's also like a glut of Chicago was the team that, you know, out of 15 players, 10 were wings. So he just never really got a chance to fit in. And then last year they bring in Rondo and they have Butler and they've got Wade. So he never got minutes again until he came to OKC and he's learning a new system. Um, Donovan's an underrated coach who I think will find ways to work him and make him more serviceable. And the thing about Donovan that's very intriguing to me is he's the type of coach that will do a lot of things during the year and play around with a lot of different um, lineups, a lot of different play sets. And then in the playoffs, you start you see where the method, you know, the ends justifies the means. But if either one of them they don't even have to both do it, but if either one of them takes a little bit of a step forward, suddenly you have a team, as you say, that was 30th in field goal percentage from three. You've got Paul George and Westbrook, if he's allowed to not have to play at 150 miles per hour every minute that he's on the floor and is rested, suddenly can give more on the defensive end, suddenly has more legs to have the shot from three. And then you have a Brennan and and McBucket's being able to shoot threes. I know they've got uh, Grant working on his threes. I'm not sure what, how 
serviceable that will be, but his numbers last year, just looking here, he, thought, he shot 37.7% from three, Jeremy Grant, and he's a good defender as well. Yeah, it's, I, I, I like Jeremy Grant. I've always liked watching him too. He's very explosive. So hopefully he can keep that percentage while keep it while up getting an uptick in three point attempts per game since he only averaged one point five per game. But obviously that was because he was not yet confident in his three point shot yet. So if he can improve on that, they can get more minutes for Abrinas and McDermott and as they improve um, on both ends of the floor in terms of their shooting, get more shooting. Still have George and Patterson who are better shooters and good defenders. So they really didn't and if Robertson improves from the three, I mean if you think about it. Think about this lineup of Patterson and George and Westbrook. All three can hit threes. You've got Adams defending the rim at seven feet. The pick and roll can be run with Westbrook driving. They can they can do screens and have uh, Roberson just moving and coming in for mid-range shots or coming in for dunks or pick and rolls. They can have Adams, who's improved his passing, throwing out to the, to the perimeter. Like... They have a lot of options now with that that lineup. Yeah, and and the thing and the big question, well, the, obviously the bigger question with them, which I don't really want to talk about because we can't predict how these pe- these players will feel. But the question I'm most interested in, I think most people are interested in, in terms of on the court, is will Westbrook conform his game enough to please George? George, you know. He hasn't. He's. I think he's the ideal fit next to Westbrook because he's good off the ball. He likes. When has Paul George ever had any one of Westbrook's ilk to play with? Ever. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not saying that he's. I'm saying he's a good fit because he can play off the ball. He's not really worried Shot about sixty point one percent on catch and shoot jumpers last year, George. Yeah, so I'm thinking that. And listen, he okay. Last year he was the almost the only option. I know Miles Turner's there, but you have to get the ball to Miles Turner. Ball George had most of the burden on him offensively last year. Um, and he shot Paul 18- George almost single handedly beat the Raptors with Jeff Teague. No, before Jeff Teague, with um, Monte Ellis and Miles Turner in his rookie season, and I I can't remember the George Hill on that team too. I think uh, Solomon Hill. No, yeah, George Hill and both and yeah, yeah, and Solomon Hill. They didn't have anyone who was a superstar. They just had a bunch of like guys that played good defense. But George Hill was the only offensive player. Solomon Hill had one good game and landed a huge contract and then went into oblivion. <laughs> oh, God. Um, was it Yon Mahimi? Who was their other center? They had yeah, another Yon center. Yon Mahimi was the backup, I think. Yeah. But he had a sore back. And the big mistake that Vogel made, and I think that's why he got fired, was because he didn't have George on the floor in the late goings of that game. And Georgie Hill is an underrated point guard big time mm-hmm. in terms of what he does for all the little boxes that he checks like a Patterson. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean – I think Paul George is – honestly, I really believe this, Eric. I do believe that he will be a better partner. The thing that everyone talks about is Westbrook doesn't want to give up the ball. Westbrook gave up the ball a ton last year. Not only did he like come in second or whatever it was in assists, the thing is he just couldn't trust the shooters to hit. Do you know how much he'll be happy to give the ball oh, up to George so when he's hitting? Oh, he'll, he'll be, be great. thrilled. Yeah, you get Patterson spacing the floor at power forward. Um, yeah, so I mean, he has he has better shooters now with the same, if not better, defenders on the roster. Um, they didn't really give up much to improve significantly. I mean, it was really just such a, a just a great off season that I, I can't find fault in, in any move. I really can't find fault in any move, which is why I think they're going to take a big step up. They could be top five both offensively and defensively. Um, they won forty seven games last year. They could jump up. I don't even know. It's like fifty five wins if everything works out great. Um, 
They can make a they huge can jump. Cancer to ever play defense even remotely better. Yeah, they I, become they become a real factor. Yeah, because Cantor is a, a, an offensive threat. He really is. Prior to him pulling the fight with the chair last year when he got mad and broke his arm, he actually was the one that was orchestrating the offense from the bench and doing a really good job of it. And now the thing, the interesting thing is, obviously we hope, and I think that Donovan will stagger the Westbrook and George minutes, which means Canner won't be the only offensive option off the bench. Which again, I think that Canner's minutes could actually decrease this year because. One, because he won't be the primary option on the bench units if Paul George is staggered with Westbrook. And two, I think Patterson will also should also get some minutes as a small ball center because he gets good floor spacer. He's a good enough defender to handle the big guys, especially in small ball lineups. Um, so I could totally see Cantor's minutes decreasing. But again, it's always great to have an option to just throw it into the post and let him go to work on off nights for the shooters, which is also always valuable. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. It's one of the factors I've been wondering about because – Patterson never really excelled starting with the Raptors, but he finished all the games. Casey used to call him a six starter because the thing is with Patrick, first of all, he'll start the season slow. Now that he's had this knee surgery, he's going to start it even slower. He never really fully recovered last season from the knee injuries that he had. He came back for two games, left for six, came back, left for another six. Uh, he never was a hundred percent, and you could tell by his lateral movement. Yeah, he just had he played really well with Ibaka, though. It's too bad. I think that they put all their eggs in the Tucker basket, and they didn't even bother with Patrick, which is sad because that signing was like so economical for the OKC Thunder. I can't even believe they got Patrick for so little. The Raptors would have jumped at getting him for that. Anyway, um, but OG and Anobi will end up taking that spot, so it's fine. Um, but I, I I wonder whether or not Patterson will actually start or whether they'll ease him in off the bench and just close games with him and he'll for sure he'll end up playing the majority of the second half i just don't know if maybe they do want to bring in this cancer into the starting lineup to start games and have him and adam start games I I, and, I mean I don't I mean they could do that but then that does expose them for teams just to just pick on Canner in the pick and roll um, and that puts more pressure on the second on the off ball hand the buff, off ball defenders um, true. like Westbrook. or maybe as you say maybe they play Patterson and, and Cantor together like like marry the minutes however they do it mm-hmm. McDermott as well they want to play a bit of power forward so we'll yeah. see we'll see how it washes out but. I'm very optimistic about what this team's chances are, and you never know. Presti may not be done pulling rabbits out of that hat yet. He may be looking to do something, and the problem is that Cantor has become someone who's so endeared by the OKC Thunder uh, fans, so losing him would be hard because he really loves OKC and the fans really love him. He's out and about a lot. To your point back again, sorry about the segue there, about Russell Westbrook. The week before uh, Independence Day when KD left, and now we all know that it was already decided long before that. In fact, it was decided in when the Cleveland Cavaliers won and Draymond Green and Kevin Durant had a phone call and Kevin told them he was coming on the last night of the playoffs the night they lost the finals to the Cavaliers. Um, a week before that letter went into the Players' Tribune, uh, Nick Collison, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant went for dinner, and Russell asked him, what can I do to help you get better? What can I do so you can win another MVP? What can I do to make you better? Russell is is very well, very much misunderstood. I think one of the great things about this past season with Russell showing the world how great he was 
is people have seen his off-court demeanor. They're starting to see how funny he is, how, how humble he is. There's a story that a friend of mine, I have a very good friend who has a lot of family in Oklahoma City, and um, they talk about how he always drives around, and he'll, he'll find out about families that are hurting financially, and he'll take them to Costco and buy all their kids' stuff for school, all their supplies, their clothing, whatever. And uh, Jeff Van Gundy told a great story about flying to OKC for a game with another analyst that sat beside him and said that he was lived on the same street as Westbrook. And it was common knowledge in OKC, but nowhere else, that kids would go to Russell Westbrook's door, ring the doorbell. His wife, Nina, would come to the door and answer it. And they would say, can Russell come out and play? And whether he was hurt, whether it was after practice, he always comes out and plays ball with the kids in the neighborhood. So Russell Westbrook is a lot nicer off-court than people realize. They just see this surly guy who doesn't like stupid questions from the media. Yeah, yeah. And it always happens to players when they get the, the wrong kind of image or personality painted on them because of them in a press conference or something after a tough game. It's really – people don't really d- dig deep enough into their off-the-court kind of – and if, if you watch football at all, you know that they used to say it about Dan Marino and they said it about uh, Aaron, Aaron um, what's the, the, gold, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron, Aaron uh, yeah, that their, their, their passes are so hard. That's one of the things that Taj Gibson and, and McDermott said is you sit there and he said, they said sometimes whether you're on the bench or on the floor, you find yourself like standing and staring at him because he's just so superhuman. And some of his passes are just so fast and on the money that you catch yourself by surprise because it's where you want it, but you never get it. Yeah. So I think Paul George is going to be a very happy camper and a lot will depend obviously on how they get out out of the gate. They have the 11th hardest schedule and they finish the season with the fifth hardest schedule. So hopefully they'll ease into the year and get on a roll. But I really do think this team, I think people are sleeping on how good they can be. Everyone's all over this Houston Rockets team. I think the Houston Rockets are going to have a much more difficult time figuring out how to play Mm -hmm. uh, James Harden and um, Chris Paul together than than Mm -hmm. George Paul, uh, Paul George and and, uh, Russell Westbrook are going to have. Although, I know it's not this division, but I do think the P.J. Tucker uh, signing and uh, the Mumbai Mude signing by Houston was smart moves by them. Yeah, and I, and also the thing is the Rockets will have a tougher time adjusting with Paul and Harden. The Spurs did not do anything if got worse. Um, so again, I, I, I think that I agree with you 100% that people are sleeping on how good the Thunder can be if it oh, all works out together. Oh, can I ask you, who do you think that the Spurs were trying to get into the draft to get? I think it was either Fox or the kid that went to Orlando. Jonathan Isaac? Yeah. I do not. Who do you think they were going after? I do not. I don't even remember that rumor. I don't even remember. remember it was the the, it was everywhere. The Spurs were trying desperately to get into the top five of the draft. I do not remember that at all. I don't remember why. I don't know how I don't remember that, but I do not remember that at all. <laughs> it's because there was so much going on that night with the Paul George trade. And, no, the Jimmy and, Butler trade was that night, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so no, it, no, Paul George yeah. was the first night of free agency. Jimmy Butler was on the draft. Right, 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 right. A great transition to the Minnesota Timberwolves who had <laughs> one of, if not the most eventful off-seasons. My goodness. All right, let's just run through the key losses and key additions. Um, so they they obviously traded Levine and Dunn 
uh, for Jimmy Butler. They just waived Nikola Pekovic, whose career is basically over. Jordan Hill, they waived as well. He was just unnecessary. I don't know why they gave him that contract in the first place. And then they traded Ricky Rubio um, and eventually replaced him with Jeff Teague. Obviously, they added Jimmy Butler in that trade. They signed Taj Gibson. Tom Thibodeau was bringing the band back together. And then later on in the free agency period, they added Jamal Crawford after he was traded to the Hawks, then waived. And um, so that, that those are their four key additions. The questions to answer about the Wolves, and this is a very interesting team. Obviously, last year, people expected them to take a huge jump, and they weren't quite, quite ready with the experience and the age and, and, and getting used to Tom Thibodeau and stuff like that. Now they brought in Butler, a, a, a superstar, um, and Gibson, who are both comfortable with Tom Thibodeau and the way he teaches and coaches. They added Jeff Teague, who I'm not, I don't love. I'm not a fan. I do not love that signing when they, they basically replace Rubio and Teague, and I know they think they're going to get more shooting, but Teague is not going to space the floor much. So the questions to answer, the first one and I have is, And he's a locker room cancer. And, all right, I guess that is also true. Uh, and they also have a lot of personalities there as well. So um, the questions to answer, I think the, the first and the, the biggest one, I think, is do they have enough floor spacing, especially if they start Gibson at power forward? Because Wiggins is still not a proven consistent shooter. Butler is not either. He's not a great shooter either. And I just mentioned Teague is not going to is not a lights out shooter like they I guess they were thinking by replacing Rubio with Teague. So, you know, obviously in today's NBA, you need to have average to good floor spacing um you can't just only be great defensively and be an albatross in terms of floor spacing and offensively because right now they have a pretty crowded uh floor with guys who need the ball in their hands to create like Wiggins and Butler and then obviously I haven't even mentioned Carl Anthony Towns um the other question is how good they will be will they be defensively obviously Butler's a good defender Gibson's a good defender Teague is I think is worse than Rubio defensively I think and then Jamal Crawford is is um I don't even know what to call him defensively a turnstile I guess um so those are two questions about their game on the actual floor and then the overall question is how big of a jump will they make in the West I mean what are your thoughts on some of those questions some of their additions and losses and ultimately how how big of a jump you think they're going to make well the big thing with them obviously is adding Butler and for me it's 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 going to come down to one player and people kind of have given him a hard time simply because he's he doesn't he's not someone who courts the media he doesn't like to be front and center and that's Andrew Wiggins and I will point people to and NBA fans go back and pull up some games from last year they were my guilty pleasure on league pass the thing that people don't realize that didn't watch them a lot is Yes, Carl Anthony Towns is a stud, and yes, he'll probably be the guy because he covets the media, he covets the camera, he likes the attention. Um, Jimmy Butler as well loves to be the guy. Andrew Wiggins is a team player. Everyone who's ever coached him says this kid is the most athletic kid I've ever seen in my life. And any kind of tests that have been done, um, James Harden has the quickest step back. That's why he does so well on those step back jumpers. But Wiggins has the fastest takeoff going towards the basket, and he ranks first in a lot of categories. He, uh, This was the team that I had that stat for that I was wrong about, uh, Eric. They ranked 30th in three-point field goal attempts and makes, but mm-hmm. they shot it at 20%. They just didn't shoot a lot of them. So they lost their best three-point shooter in Levine, who took 6.6 per game and shot 39.7%. But 
his stats defensively were misleading because it made it seem like he was doing so well, but he was playing against the reserve teams. If you go back and watch the games, the interesting fact about Anthony, uh, Andrew Wiggins is that Andrew Wiggins, night in, night out, had the hardest defensive cover. For the end of games, as good as Rubio was at getting assist, it was Wiggins who initiated the offense. And in the games that they won, in late games, it was Wiggins who shot the, the winning shot. In the games they lost, he was giving up the pass. So what Butler does immediately is suddenly Andrew Wiggins doesn't have to do everything. Now, the interesting scuttlebutt that's out right now, Wiggins wants the max contract, and the owner has said he wants to sit down with Andrew Wiggins and wants a commitment from him that he'll stay. And I can tell you the reason why is because everyone suspects that Andrew Wiggins wants to come to Toronto, and that's why he's asking for the max contract. Okay? Mm -hmm. He's always wanted to play in Toronto, number one. Number two, they want him to work out in Minnesota. I found this a very weird statement that they were saying they want him to work out in the summertime in Minnesota like Towns does. I don't understand why it's necessary that he works out there if he's continuing to improve his game. Um, and I need to find one more stat that I put somewhere. If I can find it. Uh... Okay, so we I, I can't find it at this moment, but oh, here it is. <laughs> so he's averaged 23.6 points per game and shot 35.6% from three-point range last season, and that's more than a 5% jump from his previous season, and he's improved every single season. For me, I still think I think they'll be I think their defense will improve dramatically, but the pundits are picking them to win 17 more games this year in a crazy West. Okay, yeah. so that's a lot to improve. Not to say it can't happen. Tibbs improved Chicago to 50 wins his first season with them. So I just don't know. I mean, I, I, they're going to make the playoffs. I just don't know if it's going to be that much of a jump. And I still feel that they need another floor spacer. But I do believe Wiggins will improve on three-point shooting. And they're not that bad on the three-point shots. It's more the attempts they make. Like Butler shot 36.7% last year. Crawford shot 36%, but he didn't get as many minutes. And he's kind of a streaky shooter, right? Um, you've got other guys like Gor uh, Gorky Dang is actually a pretty good three-point shooter, but he only shot like 0.5 per game. <laughs> Will they try to get him to shoot more of them? Brandon Rush is also a really good three-point shooter, 38.6%. Again, he didn't shoot very many of them. So what happened is you had the big three of Wiggins, Levine, and Towns taking most of the shots, but you had Ricky Rubio taking 2.6, and he only shot 30.6%. Teague, I think, is 35 or something like that. So he's better than what Rubio was. So that's an improvement on that end. Um, I think the big factor for them is going to be how quickly they can figure out and acclimate to the new system. I think Butler and Taj Gibson together will teach them what Tibbs wants and the work ethic that he desires. And because they'll have more offensive options, and some floor, better floor spacing overall, because really it was only Levine that could space the floor. Even though Teague isn't a great three-point shooter, he definitely is someone that a, a team won't won't slack off of like they would Rubio, right? Yeah, that's true. 
So they'll be better defensively. They have to wait until December 15th before they can trade Teague. Here's the point I'll make about them. What takes Minnesota from being a seven, a, a five, six, seven seed to being an upper echelon seed is trading to get Kyrie Irving. Of all the teams that Kyrie Irving listed, being the Spurs, the New York Knicks, was Chicago one of them? I forget. It was Miami. And Minis- Miami was the. Oh, Miami and and Minnesota. Minnesota is actually the perfect fit for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I, I would like. I like perfect that fit a lot. Yeah, I like that, and that could take him up another level as well. Um, the problem is they don't want to give up Andrew Wiggins, which is what. Of course, LeBron wants, which is hilarious because he made him trade trade him to get Kevin Love. Kevin Love, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Crawford definitely will help. He'll be very good for the for the locker room. Not that I think they've ever had any issues issues in their locker room, but I, I just Tigg for me is the scary part of this equation. I just don't see him being someone that can do something great. But then again, he was on that Atlanta team that did really well. And had 62 wins, so you know for the short term it's not so bad. It wasn't a terrible deal. Um, I just don't think he's the guy, yeah. but I do think that Wiggins is the X factor here, and and Butler is going to make Wiggins' life a lot easier. And how quickly Andrew and Carl Anthony Towns ascend to the defensive system. I mean, this team can score anytime they want. Look at the players they have on that team. Yeah, it's all about improving defensively, getting Butler and Gibson there who are who are comfortable with Thibodeau to help them help the other younger guys who are not as comfortable with Thibodeau. Uh, another year for the guys like Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and Yang and stuff like that. Another year for them under Thibodeau without even adding Butler and Gibson would have been a, would have been a slight improvement. But now obviously adding Butler, who's a superstar, and Gibson, who's a solid uh, role player and defensive player and veteran, is is a good thing. I see them making a jump into being a top six seed. Um, Obviously, yeah. we're about to talk about a team in the Nuggets who I also think will be will make a jump. Um, and of course, the Nuggets were better than the Wolves last year, but the Wolves added more this summer. Though I do I love what the Nuggets did add in, in, in one key piece, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But ultimately, I, I just can't. I, it's so hard for a team to make like a fifteen to seventeen win jump. I mean, that is just so hard. And the West is huge. Such, the West is such a bloodbath. I mean, it's such a bloodbath that them making a 15 plus win jump I think is a little bit unrealistic I think what did they win they won 31 games last year I think um I think I can tell you um so I mean again I think in the west you're gonna have 31 and 51 yeah and they were 10th in offensive rating 22nd in pace 26 in defensive rating I think they'll keep the pace slow yeah but if they improve defensively, I, they're going to be. I won't be surprised if they're a top ten defensive team, Eric. I won't. Yeah, me either. Um, and the they thing- have the players to do it. Taj Gibson isn't going to stretch the floor, but they can play him. They can even play him with Dang a little bit and move him to like when when Cat is sitting, right? Yeah, they can do that too. And um, you know, I, I like Dang a lot. I really do. I I like Dang more than most people do too. And um, again, I, as I was trying to say that you know, adding, I mean. Adding and 50- Justin Patton's going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure he's going to see the floor much, but um, eventually, eventually he can be good. Um, him and Towns side by side, eventually. Hello. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, oh my god. So ultimately, they add a, they have a lot of moving pieces here, so it will take them some time to get used to things. And and, and I also like the Majlisia. Yeah, I, I like him too. He had a pretty rough injury. We'll see if he can if he bounces back. Um, 
but uh, he also is a good as a floor spacing big as well. So mm-hmm. ultimately, they have so many moving pieces. It'll take some time to get used to integrating Butler with Wiggins and Colin Anthony Towns and Jeff Teague there. Ultimately, once I think they figure it out, I think they're going to be a top six seed fairly comfortably. Um, but I don't see them making like a. I don't see them winning. Like I can't. I mean, I would be surprised if they won fifty plus games. That would be a huge, huge jump. Um, but ultimately, I think they're going to be a comfortable top six seed in the West. And they have, like, again, they have the eighth hardest schedule of the season. And they start out with, they got to do it in the beginning, Eric. They start out with the 20th schedule, the most difficult, so the 10th easiest. But they finish with the fourth hardest schedule. Yeah. So that's good everything's going to depend. And, and for many seasons, as we've seen, they've been 13 seasons not making the postseason. So it is, is a big stretch for them to go. I'm with you. I think. I got all excited about them a couple seasons ago and said they're going to make the playoffs, and they didn't because they were just too young to get there. Much like Philadelphia, yeah. they are a team of the future, and they will be a team that we'll be, we'll be talking about for many, many seasons, assuming they stick with the core. Yeah, so a very, very interesting and eventful offseason for the Timberwolves. Another Oh, and last, last sorry, last minute, <laughs> last thing is Andrew Wiggins, if he does what I think he's going to do this year. He'll get most improved. I could, I could definitely see that too. I could definitely see that, and that's a very good possibility. His life will be easier now with Butler. Um, but very eventful season for the Timberwolves. A very eventful season for the Thunder, and a not as many moving pieces, but still an eventful season for the Denver Nuggets. Um, so key losses: Danilo Gallinari. And they still haven't re-signed Mason Plumley. Now, a lot of people think he's just going to take the qualifying offer and, and come back and play for a contract next year. Maybe they get into agreements for a long-term deal. The, the, the market has really dried up um, for restricted free agents left out there. Um, I don't think the Gallo loss is going to be that big of a deal. A good, no. good shooter, good offensive player, a big loss. I mean, a big negative defensively. And when you can add someone like Paul Millsap, ugh. What I yeah, really... I mean, he's a benefit for going to the Clippers. That they'll they'll reap the benefit from adding Gallo, but it's no loss to Dallas, uh, yes, Denver. it's one of those. Yeah, it's one of and, those. And and like your Patterson pick, my most underrated signing of the summer is Millsap. Uh, I think I think Millsap and Patterson are tied for my favorite signing. I just love it. They also trade, so they ended up trading the thirteenth pick for Trey Lyles in a first round. So they got Trey Lyles and they drafted. Tyler. I like Trey Lyles a lot too. And we'll get to that too. It's a very interesting situation they've got. And, and they, I like Tyler Lydon. And they drafted Lydon, I think, at 24. So ultimately, they brought in three you know, forwards. Uh, as I just mentioned, I love the Millsap signing. And it was a very good team-friendly deal. They actually got a – it was a three-year deal. And the third year is actually a team option. So I think Millsap will still be an all-star level for the next two. And then if he falls off – maybe maybe he falls off next year. They have a team option on that third year, which I thought was really great for them to get and very important for them to get because the contract is $30 million a year. So um, obviously they tur- they traded away the 13th pick, which turned into Donovan Mitchell, who looked good in Summer League. But again, you know, they did get Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon. So we'll have to see how that, that trade ages because it's so hard to evaluate trades with rookies or draft picks, you know, in terms of in, not into the long-term future. Um, the question is well, there's something to be said for their development staff because look at how good their youngsters have grown. And I love their coach. Yeah, I, Mike Malone is a very good coach and has done a good job so far. And now the pressure's on to, to get them into the playoffs, which they obviously I expect them to. But the questions to answer that I have, what are they going to do with all those power forwards they got? <laughs> they have Millsap, they have Lyles, they have Daryl Arthur, they have Juan Hernan Chandler. Gomez. 
Um, they have got Leiden, Fareed, Chandler can play small ball power forward. Sometimes Plumlee can even sw- slot up at power forward. I mean, he's not on the team. Are yet, the but... Plumleys the most overrated brothers in the league? Uh, Miles Plumlee is the worst. I think, well, Joachim knows. All of them are bad. I don't think any of them are good. Mason Plumlee is a solid player, but Miles Plumlee is just an albatross. That's what I say. Um, but, uh, that's a... Marsh- what about is, Marshall? Uh, for, forget about it. Not even worth mentioning. But uh, that's a glut of power forward, or just forwards, I guess, if you don't want to label by position. That has to be solved. Some of them will be not getting minutes at all, which is disappointing, because I think Durrell Arthur's a solid role player. Um, Juan Hernan Gomez is, was looked pretty good last year, and he can play some small forward, I guess. Obviously, Leiden's the rookie there. Fareed is, is I mean, his contract is really holding him down. Um the other question I have He's is, also overrated, sorry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, people, and he's the guy that started the conversation on the floor two seasons ago about where they were going for vacation. Oh, oh God, that was a disgust. Oh, what a and now they have Roy Hibbert, too, Scary Monsters. Oh, they got rid of Roy Hibbert. He, he's gone. Oh, did they? Yeah, he, he, there was a team option. They just let him go, and he's not. Oh, they here. still have him on, on their page. I love Juan Hernan Gomez. I'd like to see more of him. I like both the Hernan Gomez brothers. He's actually considered to be... Well, the sister actually is considered to be the best player of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Willie's in New York and Juan's in, on Denver. I like them both. Um, but he started to show some progress last year as well. And, of course, my Canadian boy, Jamal Murray, big fan, big, big, big fan, and the Joker, of course. I love Millsap and, and Jokic side by side. Perfect fan. Your, your point, I think, Darrell, Arthur, um, Will Barton even, and Wilson Chandler will all and Kenneth Freed will all be trade bait. They're the most likely partner for the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes. Yes. But unfortunately, they want Jamal Murray and they want Gary Harris, who are the two players that Denver is not willing to put on the table. Yeah, and the thing is, they have to try. They have their Gary Harris is going to be a restricted free agent next year, so he's probably going to get a pretty lucrative deal. Um, and then I think in a, a year or two, Jokic will obviously get a big deal. So. They have good contracts now, but of course, some of their key starters and role players will be getting expensive, which is why it kind of makes sense to trade guys like Barton and definitely get Fareed's contract off the books there too. Um, here's, a, here's a little tidbit for you. This is going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm, I'm excited. I have to prepare myself then. Jamal Murray played the entire season with a sports hernia last year. Oh, I heard about that. That is really something else. How crazy is that? That's this fine. kid, people don't even understand. If you saw him play in the Rising Stars uh, All-Star game, yeah, that's who that kid is. That kid single-handedly beat the Americans at the Pan Am Games. Yeah. Oh, and also, people, keep your ears open for Steve Nash's best friend is Rowan Barrett, and his son, Rowan Barrett Jr., is going to be a player. For the Canadians, and he he single-handedly beat the Americans in a recent tournament as well. Yeah, you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm just telling you. I was yeah. big on Andrew Wiggins and watched his whole career. I'm bigger on Rowan Barrett, RJ Jr. Uh, good to know. Everyone, you heard it here first. Uh, but also, the, the question I have with their backcourt, I love Gary Harris. I think Will Barton's a good role player, and I like Jamal Murray. Um, but the- Malik Beasley? Malik Beasley is is I mean we we didn't see much of him last year of course and of course Gary Harris and Will Barton are still ahead of him so it'll probably mm-hmm. be really tough. I think he's gonna be a player though. I think he can be good, but the problem with him and if they don't maybe they do trade Will Barton and they get, end up giving Beasley a somewhat of a bigger role. But the problem is when you're stuck behind 
quality shooting guards in Harris and Barton. It's tough for him to carve out minutes. You got Jamal Murray there who can play point guard a little bit. They still have Moody Jameer I. Nelson. They're still trying to figure out Moody I. They got Jameer Nelson as a solid veteran presence there as well. It's crowded. Um, ultimately, they have depth at every position. They really do have depth at every position. I mean, maybe small forward. If you, I mean, you can play Juan Hernan Gomez at small forward and start Chandler. Wilson Chandler can play small forward. Yeah. Wilson Chandler was all the b-boys asked me last year early in the season who's the fantasy pickup i need to make and i said wilson chandler i had two guys win their fantasy pools because of the wilson chandler pickup <laughs> yeah i think he's going to benefit even more this year obviously their guards and forwards benefit from having Jokic because he's he can, he's a great passer for a big man and if you cut he will find you at the rim as he as he showed uh, a lot of time especially with gary harris him and gary harris had some kind of telepathic communication for cutting mm-hmm. to the rim mm-hmm. and Jokic finding him and Millsap's also a great passer for a big man um oh they're gonna be sick that way it's the defense they have to worry about yeah and the defense has to improve and i think it will slightly i mean Millsap's a good defender but he can't do everything obviously i tell you this the nuggets will be one of the the most fun teams to <laughs> watch and definitely a league pass favorite of, of absolutely many. absolutely um, now since when when Jokic Jokic took over the full-time starting center yeah. on December 15th of last year they had the num- league's best yes. offense yep. and its worst defense as yeah. per uh John Schumann and the, and the thing so, is that I think the offense now that Jokic is, is they already know what Yo- they already got with Jokic remember last year they started off the first two two and a half months figuring out Ner- Nurkic, Nurkic Jokic Nurkic Jokic they even played them together okay um once they handed the reins to Too Jokic. Too bad they couldn't have worked out because one's such a great defender and one's such a great offensive guy. And that's the problem, though, because Nurkic is too good to be a backup and Jokic is obviously too good to be a backup, too, and they can't play together. Um, and that's just the problem. And, you know, ultimately, they lost that deal because they got Plumlee. They actually gave Portland a first-round pick to take Nurkic. Um, and Portland's loving that deal, which we're about to talk about there? later on. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I think, I think for me the big question is – we know that they can. They have all this fodder that they can wiggle around with Darrell Arthur, Will Barton, uh, Wilson Chandler, uh, Kenneth Farid as trade bait. Those are the, the key four guys you always hear them men- mentioned in trades. But for me, it's where does Emmanuel Moutier really fit this team? I'm just not sure he's the guy. Yeah. And if Cleveland's not willing to make the trade because Kyrie Irving on this team takes this team as to a top four team in the West. I, I agree with that too. And oh, I already, I already think they're going to be a comfortable top six seed. I think that them and, and Minnesota will be five and six in some kind of order. Um, but really, I think let's, let's look at this though, Eric, you've got no matter what anyone says about the Spurs regressing, we both know better than to say they're not going to make the playoffs or not be a top no, I have four them team. As a top four team. I have. Okay. Them. So you've got the Warriors and the Spurs as a top four team. Yes. Arguably, the Rockets and Thunder are I the third them. and fourth teams. That's what I have, yeah. Actually, okay, so I, then you've got, actually, listen to who you've got, though. You've got the Wolves, you've got the Blazers, you've got the Clippers, who finally have depth, and, and Griffin and Jordan finally dialed in to actually perform, and Doc not trying to make trades anymore. You've got the Grizzly, who are still still have uh, Mike Conley, who's still the most underrated point guard in the league, and uh, Marc Gasol. You've got the Jazz, who aren't going to be as bad as everyone's saying that they're going to be. Yes, they're, they're not going to have offense, but they're going to have tons of defense. And then, you know, whatever happens with Boogie and and, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, or, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so what, what the only is. three teams you can say in the West, in Dallas, you never know because of Carlisle. The only three teams you can definitely say won't make the playoffs in the West are the Suns, the Lakers, and the Kings, and they're all one or two plays away from being in that mix. Yeah, well, I'm not as high on a bunch of those teams that you listed. I think, ultimately, I think my eight, as of right now, obviously things can change. It's only August, but ultimately right now I have the Warriors, in no order, Warriors, Spurs, Thunder, Rockets, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Jazz, and Clippers making the playoffs. Those are my eight right now. Obviously, things can change. Trades could happen. Injuries could happen in training camp or preseason. But as of right now, those would be my eight teams. I just think Everyone that- fights me on New Orleans because I say they won't make the playoffs, and I'm with you. I will say this. The one team I'm looking forward to watching in the West that won't make the playoffs, and it's not a team anyone thinks because I don't give a crap about Lonzo Ball, I can't wait to watch the Kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- think they're going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so... Well, we've kind of digressed, but ultimately I think the Nuggets will be a top succeed, and I think we've talked enough about how much we love the Paul Millsap signing. But uh, Do they keep Moutier? That's my question for you. Do they keep Moutier or do they try to move him? And do they are they a real viable option for Kyrie? I think they're a viable option only because of the assets. More than have. Minnesota? Uh, uh, I mean, if Minnesota – see, they have more, like, solid players. The Cavs just want Wiggins as the primary guy. And for the Nuggets, they'd be getting, like, smaller pieces. They don't – there is there is no kind of Wiggins on the Nuggets. I mean, Jokic counts as that, but they're not giving him up. Um, so they could throw in, a, like, a bunch of pieces and then picks while – meanwhile, the Wolves would – it would basically be, like, Wiggins and maybe some other role player um, – for Kyrie, so I think basically because of how many assets they have, they're a player. But ultimately, I just don't think that one. I think they wouldn't want to take the risk of Kyrie eventually just leaving because he has not shown any inclination that he would resign with the Nuggets. Um, um, and two, you know, it, we don't know how high they really are on guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton. I mean, I love Gary Harris, um, so I think they're somewhat of a player. But I put them kind of at the bottom of you know teams that have been mentioned already, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm just I just pulled up the draft picks to see what's going on in terms of the Cleveland thing with Denver, and they have two incoming draft pick, second round draft picks this year, one from Golden State, and the lower the less favorable of the Portland or Sacramento, um, and they also have an outgoing pick to the second round pick to the Lakers, but they have their own picks, and then Minnesota has an incoming first-round pick from Oklahoma City and an outgoing first-round pick to Atlanta. So they don't have their first-round pick to give this year. Yeah, so that makes things more interesting. But ultimately, I mean, we could speculate on Kyrie Irving trades. I think the Kyrie Irving trade will be one of the most interesting trades in recent history just based on what they're going to get back and what they— Yeah, I think he suits Minnesota the best of all of his options. But I think he's more likely—and Cleveland doesn't owe him anything. They want to ship him to— Phoenix and get picks, but yeah, definitely true. Denver has the greatest depth and the greatest assets to play with. Yes, very true. All right, let's keep moving in this Northwest division that's very interesting now. We're going to go to a team that lost an all-star but still rebounded, I think, fairly well, and that's the Utah Jazz. Obviously, key mm-hmm. losses, obviously Hayward, which we talked a bunch about in the Atlantic Division episode, so check that out with the Celtics. Um, they let George Hill go, who went to Sacramento, and they released Boris Diaw. 
I mean, obviously, when you lose an all-star... And Trey Lyles. And Trey Lyles, they traded, and that's a big deal because one of the key additions is Donovan Mitchell. Um, they also replaced Hill with Rubio in that trade, and then they added some smaller signings, um, Tabo Cephalosha, Ekbe Udo, who's back in the league, and Jonas Derebko. Um, mainly defensive-minded signings. Obviously, the Jazz had a great defense, especially because of one of my favorite players, Rudy Gobert. They finished third in the league last year. Um and also they re-signed Joe Ingles, which is I, I love Joe Ingles as a role player as well. Um, the questions to answer with the Jazz is, will they be able to score enough? Obviously, they lost Hayward, and uh, Rubio's a good playmaker. You can't really rely too much on a rookie in Donovan Mitchell yet. Um, and obviously, the other guys they signed are role players who can't create um, or just straight defensive-minded signings. And then I have a question here. I already answered this question because I just revealed who I have as the playoff teams. But my question was, will they make the playoffs in the improved West, which I already answered yes. But the question is about their offense, really, and how they're going to bounce back from losing Gordon Hayward with these defensive-minded signings, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Favors had the issues with his knees last year. They said it was degenerative, but then I've heard that it's gotten better. What steps Dante Exum makes are going to be key Yes. How much more can uh, Rodney Hood pro- uh, progress? Um, it's it's going to be, I think they'll be as good defensively as they've ever been. Mitchell was great in the Utah Summer League, as we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, I, I forget where I read it or whether I heard it on television, but there was a great article or show that I saw about Quinn Snyder and his background and how he, you know, was a janitor at one point and how smart he is and how if you look at team, all the players that have gone and played for him, go look at George Hill's numbers last year. Go look at anyone that's come to his team. Every single player that plays under Quinn Snyder improves offensively and defensively. Yeah. He is really good at development. He's one of the best teachers. He picked that up, obviously, in San Antonio with his time spent there. But the one thing about Quinn Snyder is he's a very underrated coach. So all the players on the team, like that's why you always see, you go, who? When you hear about these players when they sign them and then they suddenly become very good. Yeah. So uh, for me, the X factor is going to be what they can do for scoring. I love Rudy Gobert as well. I think him and Ricky Rubio are going to be deadly in the pick and roll. I think we'll see Rudy Gobert scoring a lot more this season. Yeah. But, and, and, Thabo Cephalosha was a great pickup for them. They got a lot of character guys that they added, but they don't, unless you're planning on Joe, Joe being clutch <laughs> Joe again, Joe, Joe Johnson. Yeah. I really don't know. When, or favors takes another step forward. Miami Hood has to take another step as well. Yeah. Well, there's so many ifs on this team when it comes to the offensive side yeah. of things, right? That's, that's the big question for me is I'm just going to, pull up real quickly if I can find it. There we go. Utah Jazz. Um, they were 12th offensively last year. And that, I mean, see, this is contract season for fair favors. Yeah. So, I mean, and hopefully you can stay. And healthy. it's a contract season for Joe Johnson. Who cares? Dante Exum. It's a contract season. Rodney Hood. It's a contract season. Raul Neto. It's a contract season. So all of these guys are, are going to be looking to perform well. As I said, Quinn Snyder is a great teacher. What did you have them? Eight? I had them. Well, I don't have it in any order yet, but I think there'll be either seven or eight with the Clippers in some kind of order. Yeah, I, it'll come down to. I, I'm going to leave it this way. I, I I don't ever discount Utah because much like Denver, they have that benefit of having the high altitude. Uh, much like Pops, they have a great coach in Quinn Snyder. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to get what you're going to get from them defensively. 
Yeah. So it's really going to be a matter of health and who progresses, who takes a step up. I think Favors will have a great season. Up until last year, he was always my underrated guy that should be most improved every season. Yeah. And I really thought when Millsap left, we'd see him take a step, but then he had those knee issues. But in the playoffs, he was stellar, especially when Gobert got hurt. Yeah, as a small ball center, he was very good too. Yeah, he's 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 very underrated, but it's his health at this point in those knees. Um, and so, yeah, it comes down to what Exum does, whether or not Rubio can build upon what he had after he, they said they weren't going to trade him after the all-star break in Minnesota. The kid went on fire and he's yeah. a nice guy. You can just tell by watching him and his, the, the team loves him. He's a competitor, but he's never going to be someone who's going to score a lot, which is an issue. So um, we'll see. I, 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 offense, I think is going to be very hard to come by and very hard but, to watch. Probably. Yeah. It probably won't be one of the most exciting teams to watch, but we'll see. I mean, it could, we could get surprised, but I think they're going to have to really battle for that eighth position. Yeah. They're going to have a lot of grinded out games, especially just grinding it out defensively to, to be able to carve their way into the playoffs. But one of the more interesting teams in terms of those fringe playoff teams still fighting to, to survive after losing an all-star and another fringe team that's also in the same division, the Portland Trailblazers. Um, key losses, I guess, Alan Crabb. I mean, it was just straight up salary dump to the Nets. They got Andrew Nicholson in return and then, and then stretched his contract to just save money. Key additions were obviously in the draft. They traded, um, they traded down, they traded up, excuse me. Um, to get Zach Collins using 15 and 20. I like both their drafts. I, I mean, like I liked Caleb Swanigan too. He's yeah, great. Caleb Swanigan early in the second round. And the, the questions to answer, I think, with the Blazers, the first one is will Yusuf Nurkic continue to make such a big difference like he did towards the end of last season? In Portland, once he was traded to Portland, they gave him the starting role. They gave him 29 minutes per game, and he averaged 15.2 points, 10.4 rebounds, 3.2 assists, and 1.9 blocks per game. And that was in less than 30 minutes per game. He showed a renewed kind of energy. He was he was sulking in Denver after being benched, and he comes to Portland. And Denver, I mean, it was motivating that they had to give Portland a, a first-round pick to take him, and he just went off. And, he, had, you know, there was that game where against the Nuggets where they beat him, and, and they exchanged. I don't remember what he said, but he basically told the Nuggets to, to prepare their fishing boats or something when they were not going to make <laughs> the playoffs. Um <laughs> And the other question with the, the Blazers is, you know, as the other teams improved, and we saw so many teams in the West improve, does this kind of uneventful summer due to their 2016 spending spree that they went on, does this put them on the outside of the playoff picture? I already answered that question because I don't have them making the playoffs, but it looks like that 2016 summer is coming back to haunt them as so many other teams in the West improved dramatically, including teams in their own division, while they had to, for the most part, stay the same their key additions are rookies, and it's hard to always rely on rookies to consistently contribute. So I have some serious concerns about the Blazers. Obviously, there are some high points with their stud backcourt in Nurkic now, but um, I have some concerns about the Blazers due to their uneventful offseason. Yeah, um, just to finish up on the Jazz, I forgot to say, if Donovan Mitchell it plays the same way he did in the summer league, then that could be their offensive weapon, and he could very quickly become the replacement to Gordon Hayward. Um, as for the Blazers... Uh, as looking at John Schumann's ranking of them, basically he highlighted a very, very valid point, which was that the Blazers went 14-5 and five with Nurkic starting at center, and they had the league's number three offense over that stretch. So not only did he improve them defensively, he improved them offensively. And Terry Stotts is a very good offensive-defensive coach. It's very much like Steve Clifford in my mind in that mm -hmm. way. There's some coaches in the league like, 
Spolstra, who's a great defensive coach and, and always gets the best out of his players. Um, and Tony, obviously, and, and, and Stevens are great offensive coaches. Pops is, is great on two ends. I think Terry Stotts is underrated for both sides of the ball. Same with Carlisle. But the, the key for me, to be honest with you, I, I said last year going into the season that the key for the, the Blazers was to get a, a, a viable center, which they did when they got Nurkic. This year, there's three factors, I find. And I don't think that they're necessarily out of the playoffs. But the Blazers were out, outscored their opponents by 3.7 points when both McCollum and Lillard were on the floor, but were outscored by 3.6 when one of them, not both of them, just one of them was off the floor. Mm -hmm. For me, there's two X factors. Everyone talked about the crab signing and all the money that they spent, but Mo Harkless had one of his best seasons last year. It was the first time he ever scored in double digits, and he was the best perimeter defender. And Al Farouk Aminu is my one of my favorite Blazers. He's just a, a tool uh, guy. He has fills all the little boxes up. But for me, the if the Blazers make the postseason, or if whether they do or they don't, will all depend on whether they can get rid of Evan Turner. Mm -hmm. During the stretch that Nurkic was starting when they went 14-5 and five in those 19 games, Evan Turner was the 10th in total minutes in those 19 games. He has never fit that system. He doesn't work with those guys. He's not a good enough defender to make a difference with the, with the reserves, and he's not a good enough scorer to do anything on either end. So for me, I've never been a big Turner fan to begin with. He, he fit the Philadelphia system back in the day, but he's just he's not viable on this team, and they need to get rid of him. They also need to see uh, Noah Vonley, who way back in the day I thought was going to be such a great draft, but wasn't. I really like the Zach Collins signing. I really like the Caleb Swanigan signing, but I just it's really up in the air. You don't have them making the playoffs. I think they're going to be right in the mix with Utah and the Clippers. Um, for that eighth seed and, and Memphis. I think it's going to be a big battle for the eighth seed in the West this year. Yeah, it's going to be really... I think, honestly, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I have six comf semi-comfortable playoff seeds, and then the fight for the final two, I think, is just going to be absolutely brutal with so many teams in the mix. Um, you know, the Jazz lost players, but they got, you know... They signed some good depth and defensive pieces. The Blazers were good last year towards the end of the season. They can just continue to build on that. The Grizzlies are always the Grizzlies, even though they lost some pieces this summer. And Zach Randolph and Vince Carter. Um, I mean, and and is is what's his name? Um, Chandler Parsons ever going to be a player? Play? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he plays and actually can actually somewhat contribute, they'll be thanking the lords. And then, uh, you've, I mean, the Pelicans, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but they're obviously still you know, a threat to, to knock off some teams in the later the Yeah, the how later that's going to work out is going to be very interesting because you got Rondo now playing the point, and they're moving Drew Holiday, yes, who I plays know. the point over to shooting guard, and then they've got the two bigs up front. I, I The semantics of that, they're either going to surprise us all and be stunning, or it's just going to be a nightmare and Boogie's going to leave at the end of the year. Yes, very interesting. I mean, as we did, we, we intended to do two divisions in one episode, but now we've realized that both divisions are just so interesting and had such eventful summers that we had to split it up. So, again, if you missed it, we recorded an Atlantic Division preview episode completely separate, so check that out. And obviously, this is the Northwest Division, a very eventful division. Probably the two most interesting divisions, honestly, though, no? Yes, I, I agree. I, I'm not sure we're going to have to – I'm not sure in my next couple of episodes and division previews I won't have to do this much – for each divisions because there were some quiet divisions as well. Um, well, the central division is a nightmare. 
That is one hell of a nightmare, I'll tell you that. So, all right. Well, Tamberlin, always a pleasure to have you on the show. We just did two hours, over two hours of recording, which is what we usually do. So we're used to it by now. But uh, why don't you it's throw when we our... catch up, Eric. It's, exactly. It's why we have to <laughs> other, have you on. Other than on Twitter. I always look for you on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so wh- speaking of Twitter, why don't you throw out where people can find both your uh, your work and where they can find you on Twitter and stuff like that? Okay, well, Thunderous Intentions is the fan-sided site that I am co-editor with Tony Himes at, and we cover all things to do with the Oklahoma City Thunder, obviously, and we'll have lots of action this year with Paul George joining. I'm a feature writer for Raptors Republic, which is where I started, and my favorite site to write for about my home team, the Toronto Raptors. I'm the lead editor at 16 Wins a Ring. You can follow me on Twitter at T, capital T, T O T lowercase a-m-b-z t-t-o tams or just type in tamberlin's tip-off um and i also have a facebook page tamberlin's tip-off i'll probably be bringing my podcast back soon i'm just trying to figure out the semantics of that but yeah give me a follow and thanks for having me eric as usual anytime everyone follow tamberlin and check out her work follow um you can follow me on twitter at eric spiros mba and you can follow the website on Twitter at the 94 feet report. Um, and you can follow also some of my work at hoops habit and MBA math.com. Uh, once again, guys, thank you for, uh, these are two separate episodes, but thank you for sticking with us for over two hours. If you listen to them consecutively, um, and hope you guys have a great week. Take care.